Welcome to Crooked Little Girl. This is one woman's story of receiving a crooked gospel that created a crooked life. The quality of this podcast is not professional by any means, and I know it's not professional. I can't hide the effects of long COVID that comes through in my speech sometimes with nerve damage in my tongue. I can't hide the breathing issues from long COVID either, or the outdoor sounds that come and go, or most of all, my five kids that make the noise of 50 people all day long in this house where I'm recording. Still, I hope that you can enjoy the story of a crooked girl. Dear Evangelicals, today we're going to look at a chronic illness that I have. It's not long COVID, that's a different thing for three years now, but right at the beginning of my prophetic engagement, my arranged marriage engagement, <laughs> uh, I came down with some kind of a kidney infection. Uh, I, I was walking into my apartment after a really, really bad time with my ex-husband, my then fiance. He treated me really badly. Um, and I walked into my apartment and I just fell on the floor. I found out later my roommate found me just like on the floor kind of like um, in the hallway and my bedroom, like doorway, just laying there. And someone brought me to the emergency room. My best friend at the time was there with me. My fiance came some of the time. And from what I was told, when I look at my journals, as I was trying to process it once I got better, I was like completely delirious. I was talking to people that I thought were there, but they weren't there. (laughs) They were college friends that had since moved away after graduation. And I was having these like very high fevers and pain. My kidneys had all these terrible symptoms. They couldn't figure it out for a long time. So I was in the hospital um, for over a week. And when I came out of the hospital, it took me a month of just laying on the couch in my college or seminary apartment uh, before I could even really get around and do much. Um, And while I was there, I was in such critical shape that they had my family come from out of state. They came for the five hours to see me because the doctor was saying that, you know, I was just in really bad shape. So It was a serious illness. I don't remember, like even right after it happened, I didn't really have memories of it except for the very end when uh, they had given me really, really heavy antibiotics and I started to come back to real consciousness and awareness. Uh, I remembered, you know, just kind of that last day in the hospital before I was discharged. And anyway, that infection that it was spiritualized immediately. Um, And then by the church that we soon moved to, because a few months after that, we got married and then moved um, like far away to a different part of the country. And so especially in that new church out there, uh, because I I just didn't feel right. Ever since then, I felt like something's very wrong with my body. I'm really weak. I'm having these strange symptoms. I started fainting. Like just randomly, I would feel fine and then all of a sudden faint. And um, so if I was at the store, I would wake up with people standing around me or 
at a restaurant, just like wake up with my head on the table. It wasn't like all the time, like every week, but it was maybe once a month or every other month I would faint and things like that. Um, you know, I was worried and I went to doctors. This is where doctors and church people for different reasons, different views or frameworks of it, they both failed to see what was going on. (laughs) Evangelicals, you told me that Satan was attacking me because it's really hard to marry the person that you're supposed to marry. That demons were coming and they were attacking our marriage. Um, It made my ex-husband really, really disgusted and annoyed at me. He hated any kind of weakness. He hated illness in anyone, especially me. And so it put all this tension between us. And um, it made me look even more unappealing when the whole basis of us getting together was from how he always told it then and in recent years. He got my name from God and then he was like arguing with God and crying out and saying he didn't want to marry me. There were so many reasons that I was disgusting and just horrible to be around, embarrassing to be around. I would limit any kind of career or, you know, anything good in his life that he tried to build. If people met me, as the story went, according to him, if people met me, he wouldn't be able to get far or he would be outcast because I was just, just from looking at me or having a little conversation, people would just be so repulsed by me like he was and so me having these weird illnesses the one in the hospital he hated that um I heard later that he just people had to force him to come around and visit me and um and then you know the fainting the other things that came in later years it was all a reason for or permission maybe to be uh, validly disgusted by me and annoyed at me. So anyway, it made sense in that framework, evangelicals, that Satan was making him not like me, that we were supposed to get married, but these demons were making my body do these crazy things, you know, that the doctors couldn't explain. And, you know, the spiritual stuff, it sounded completely believable to me in that that mindset that I had at the time because I had heard all the missionary stories especially but even things from here in my own country all the stories of Satan making people sick and that if the doctors can't figure it out if all the tests are normal that means that it's it's this like evil demonic power that is causing symptoms And um, it's either an attack because you're so holy or an attack because you're so evil and sinful and giving Satan that power in your life. And so I had people coming at me with accusations of that, but then other people coming at me saying, no, it's because you're like a saint. (laughs) So I just never knew what to think. Now at the same time, I would go through tests, you know, like in the immediate, if someone called the ambulance because I fainted. But then also I saw neurologists and cardiologists over the years and they did all their workups and they had me do things. And 
I looked fine. They said, no, your body is fine. One cardiologist eventually about 10 years into this, he said, you have skinny girl syndrome. I see it all the time. It's like in the old movies or old books. If something startling or really scary happens, like, you know, someone who's supposed to be dead is actually alive and they walk into the room and like this lady faints, you know, or you get really bad news and this lady faints. He said, that's what you have. You just, um, you're fainting and feeling weak a lot of the time because if anything startles you, you know, it's, it's like those, <laughs> those like old time ladies and it's because you're so skinny, which was true. Um, true that I was skinny, but it didn't really make enough sense and there was nothing to do apparently. Um, and so I just thought, well, that's what I have. I have skinny girl syndrome and I get scared more easily than other people. But a lot of the times I fainted when nothing startling or scary happened. I mean, basically all the time it was that I could never see a reason later on. And after years of getting worse, especially after having each baby, the postpartum time was just insane for crazy symptoms that didn't really seem to add up. And the midwives or obstetricians would just say, oh, it's hard work having a baby. It's hard work, you know, giving birth, but then having the newborn and no sleep. Your body just is more sensitive than others. They would shrug it off because everything seemed fine if they listened to my heart and they do blood work or anything. My thyroid was perfect. Uh, my adrenal system was perfect. And so evangelicals, I believed you that I needed more and more deliverance. I needed more inner healing. I needed to repent more, but I also needed to stand my ground and let God keep sanctifying and refining me more in this. It was, I dove in very deep to the spiritual framework for this crazy way that my body had been acting. And I kind of knew it started with that kidney infection, but when I would say that to doctors, they would say, there's no connection. No, you're just thinking of it like, you know, um, what's it called? Where things are not related, but because they seem to be related in your mind. Uh, I can't remember right now the psychology term for that, but you know, that thing where it's, um, you know, maybe you, you eat a certain food like a hot dog and then... I don't know, later on you have this like other thing happen and it's like, oh no, it's not because you eat the hot dog that, you know, this other thing happened. It's just um, linked in your mind because that was one of the things you remember doing then. That's what all the doctors would say when I brought up the kidney infection. Um, and, and so at my medical appointments, as someone who had a very hard to understand chronic illness, it kind of lined up with what all the church people were saying because my doctor and, you know, specialists, anyone I saw in the ER when I would faint and end up, you know, waking up in the emergency room or in an ambulance on the way to the emergency room, they all boiled it down to one word that I came to hate, anxiety. If all the tests are normal, but you're having tachycardia, rapid heart rate, or heart palpitations, or extreme weakness, um, and then fainting, obviously you're anxious. 
you know, if you have those things, but your body is fine. And that's what I believed. I would sometimes kind of argue about it and say, but I don't feel worried right now. Or I'm doing things like I'm, I'm doing guided meditation, um, things that you can listen to. And I'm doing these, you know, I'm in therapy now or whatever I could list off. Like, I don't feel like anxious about anything. And they would say, well, you must just be a very anxious person in general. And I look back and think, well, yeah, I was being very, very abused by my husband at the time, my mom, my mother-in-law, my church, (laughs) most of my friends. Like, there was verifiable, like, diagnosable levels of abuse and control and uh, just all-around oppression, (laughs) if I think of of it like that's more like that one word oppression being limited and bound up and not allowed to be a full adult independent person who can make decisions and think and act on her own that's what I was so yeah there's some anxiety right like in that and the nature of it but uh at the same time there was more to it and so the doctors they would often get frustrated or I should say the nurses if I was in the ER, they would look in my chart and they would say, you do this all the time. You have to stop coming in. This is for your primary doctor to figure out. And I would go again to my primary care doctor and she would be very sympathetic, but then at the same time just say, I think you're just very anxious. And so there I was for 16 years. That's all I got as it got worse and worse. And then When I got COVID, the dreaded virus that ruined my health in so many ways, all of these things got worse. And the doctor at the COVID clinic, he said, there's this condition that we used to not really know how to diagnose. And it was very, uh, it was thought to be very rare. No one really knew how to do anything for it, but it's called dysautonomia. And a lot of people with long COVID have dysautonomia. So a lot of people who never had any issues with it before, they got it from COVID. And because I already had it, that was the name of this invisible enemy for all these years that doctors and and Christians all, you know, pointed at and mislabeled and uh, basically tried to talk me out of, (laughs) just say that I needed to, uh, to rest more and stop worrying and try to eat so I'm not too skinny. It was called dysautonomia. And because I already had it when I saw the COVID clinic doctor, it was not only part of my long COVID treatment, but I finally got to know what had been wrong for those 16 years. The 16 years of shame, of confusion, of cognitive dissonance, because I would, you know, be sitting on the couch reading my kids a book and suddenly my heart would race and I would get really dizzy and, you know, maybe not faint all the way, but just slump over almost fainting. And, you know, it seemed like, well, I must be crazy or maybe it is demons because all I am right now, all I'm doing is reading cat in the hat to my kid and I feel really happy right now and I ate a good lunch and you know, I'm drinking enough water. There's no reason. It's not like there's anything I could point to. It's just all of a sudden that would happen all the time. 
<laughs> and um, now because of COVID, I know it's dysautonomia, which means my autonomic nervous system is just completely broken and it affects basically every part of my body. It affects daily functioning so badly. And some of the time it's under control enough that I can live pretty much normal, um, you know, better than I could those 16 years when it was undiagnosed. Because now I have things like compression stockings and an abdominal compression band that keeps the blood up in my head because that's part of the fainting and heart symptoms. It's that the blood drains down to my feet and it can't come back up. (laughs) That's why I have a t-shirt that says allergic to gravity. I love wearing that shirt. I wore it yesterday. Um, It's a dysautonomia awareness shirt. And so I have those things that can physically keep the blood up in my head um, and in my heart, you know, the top part of me. And I also can take salt pills if I'm feeling symptoms. The salt pills help amazingly. Um, What else? I have physical therapy that's been helping. And so it's helping to strengthen my body, strengthen my circulation and strengthen my legs so that my body can pump the blood a little bit better up from my legs. Things that that just make a difference in my daily life. And I'm really grateful for those. The only reason that I got those is because of having COVID, going to the COVID clinic, and then finding out about this other thing, this mysterious thing that nobody could explain other than blaming me <laughs> for being anxious. But when I look back, when I zoom out even more, I see evangelicals that you didn't know about dysautonomia. You didn't know what it was. So it's not like you were tricking me or deceiving me in some way. You weren't covering up anything that I should have known from you. But you made it a lot harder. You make it hard to have a chronic illness in general, even something that's known. Um, But there's no, no room in your very very black and white or very uh, limited mindset for things that are mysterious, things that have more to them than what we could figure out. And so it's easy for you to put it all in terms of angels and demons. It's easy for you to say, well, are you sinning or are you a saint? You can put all these labels that sound really good in the moment sometimes, or they sound really horrible and I can't even endure the pain of them in the moment. (laughs) It can go either way so easily depending on who I talk to or, you know, what kind of a church or seminar I'm at. But evangelicals, even though you couldn't have solved the problem, you made it a lot harder. You definitely made it just um, unbearable in ways where if I didn't have that impact from you in my life, it would have been easier to get through that mysterious illness. I also see how you made it another weapon in the hand of my ex-husband because it was another proof that you could use that I was, oh, any number of things. I was sinful or you know, tormented by demons or uh, just so many different things that you said, it went along with his view of me, 
his view that I'm just this repulsive, broken down, pitiful thing that's making his life hard. When I would get sick, he would, you know, not just from these things, but I had many, many bouts of mastitis uh, from my... When I would have a baby, I would just get these mastitis infections. I had it a few times with each of the first four. And then I had it, I believe, 10 times in eight months with my last baby. And so at that point, I weaned him at eight months to be able to stop having the infections because they were just out of control with that one. Anyway, it could be that where I'm just laying on the floor or in bed with this like raging fever and pain and flu-like symptoms. Um, it could be, you know, any number of normal illnesses that when I was married, my ex would say that um, I was I was fine and that I was having these psychosomatic issues that were just aimed at harming him or making his life bad. He thought that I was trying to ruin whatever plan he had for the day, or mostly that I was trying to ruin his career. His career was pitiful. You know, we were always in poverty. It's not like he had this like amazing career. But even so, he would blame it all on me. He would say that he couldn't have a good career because because I was always getting sick and that it was just this fake sickness that I would do to, you know, to upset him or to make him miss work or, or make him always wonder if I, he was going to get called out of work because I fainted again. It was just this kind of believable thing. And I always felt bad. I felt so guilty and ashamed for myself that my body was hurting him so badly. Like I didn't know how to how to fix it. I didn't know anything other than prayer and getting more deliverance. I didn't know what to do to stop ruining his life like that. And then the doctors, right? They they just said that I was fine, that medically every test, every scan, blood work, um, you know, just anything they did, echocardiograms and EKGs, they're all perfect. So it looked like my ex was right, that it was so psychosomatic. And yeah, the guilt was horrible to endure. The guilt was so bad all the time. Even when I was healthy, I felt so bad. I felt like I was a ticking bomb, like my body was just this ticking bomb at any moment for no apparent reason. I could faint or get mastitis or get, you know, any number of things all of a sudden. And I just got through it somehow. I got through the unendurable agony of all that and of feeling like I deserved to be seen as disgusting and I deserved to be seen as the one who's ruining his life. It's so painful even to think back on it, but it made sense at the time. And I was always kind of apologetic, you know. There were other things besides dysautonomia. Like when I was little, one of my eyes was crooked. My left eye, it was crossed. And so they could have done surgery, I guess, but nobody did that for me I don't know if they just I went to the wrong eye doctors but I never had surgery to fix the weak muscle and I didn't wear a patch I didn't get anything they just 
I don't know if they had me do eye exercises, but I eventually kind of outgrew it. And, oh, I had bifocals. That's what they did. They had, like, special bifocals for me. My eye muscles got strong enough. Well, nobody, when I was in my 20s, nobody seemed to understand that that could happen again, that my muscles were already weakened by that. And so I spent uh, 15 years. (laughs) It also started around when I got married. I noticed that I was constantly bumping into things. I would walk through a doorway and my shoulder would hit really hard on the doorway. Or I would go to put a cup down and miss the table and it would smash onto the floor. Or I would just be walking along and hit hard into the corner of like a dresser or a table. And I would try very hard, like it got worse as the years went on. I was trying so hard to see things better. I was try- I thought I was clumsy. I told everyone I'm the clumsiest person ever. And my husband, my ex-husband, he, you know, had another weapon in his hand. I was breaking things. I was, um, I was just, yeah, so seemingly either not being careful enough or just really clumsy and stupid. <laughs> and I can look back and see how, yeah, that label seemed to fit. But every year when I went to the eye doctor for my glasses and contact, um, you know, prescription check, all the different eye doctors I went to over the years, I would talk to them, they would do the eye tests, and they would say, no, with glasses, you've got 20-20 vision, you're just clumsy, you know, so many times they'd say, I'm so sorry, but like, you can't cure clumsiness, I, I wish I could cure everyone's clumsiness, who needs it, but I can't do that, I'm not a magician, until finally, <laughs> when I was almost 40, they hired a new eye doctor at the place that I was currently going to. And when I explained all that, because I explained it on the first visit with any new eye doctor, which was a lot over the years. Um, and then after that, I would just feel embarrassed, like, oh, I shouldn't bring this up anymore. But it was getting worse enough, you know, every year it was worse. So I explained it to this really nice, young, new doctor. And she had me look at a picture. It was like a duck or something. She had me look at it with one eye closed and then switch eyes and then my eyes together. She did, I don't, I forget exactly the test. But after this test, (laughs) she said, your left eye has very weak muscles. It's like your eye is crooked. Your eyeball itself in your head is sitting there crooked and it's not aligned with your other eye. So your brain has shut off all the signals of your left eye (laughs) and you've basically been going through life with only one eye. But when doctors do tests, like when they do the basic test for your glasses prescription, they don't check for that. They don't, they can't even see that. They can see that when you close your right eye, your left eye turns on and yeah, with glasses, it's fine. It, the vision is twenty twenty. The problem is that your brain is not taking in anything from that eye in real life because you're not walking around with your right eye covered and using your left. But even then it would be the other eye, you know, still only one eye. <laughs> it was ridiculous and also very liberating to find out the reason, right? My other mysterious invisible enemy in my life for my entire adult life. Uh, (laughs) I rejoiced. 
I got glasses with prisms so that it would fix that and it it helped the crazy thing evangelicals I don't know if this is partly where the god of miracles came through I never got prayer for it but a year later when I went to that eye doctor I said you know the prisms helped at first but now I'm starting to have these issues again and she tested and she looked and she said wow your your eye is better you don't need the prisms now instead of helping you the prism effect in your glasses it's actually making you get the symptoms again because it it resolved on its own and she said something like wow they never told me in medical school that this could happen but the human body is amazing the human body can recover in ways that we just never would be able to explain now i heard that it was at the end of going to evangelical church and i thought God healed me. It's a miracle. Even though I never even prayed for this one, he healed me anyway. And I don't know, maybe that's true or maybe it's not. Maybe there's some other explanation that, you know, somebody could uncover someday. But whatever it was, um, I don't need prisms anymore. And, And the depth perception is fine. Both of my eyes are working. I don't know if the one eye is still crooked But there are a lot of crooked things about my body. That's how I got this podcast name, Crooked Little Girl, because I was born with a crooked eye. (laughs) I was born with scoliosis, or I guess it developed. I spent most of my childhood wearing a back brace for scoliosis because my back is extremely crooked. And just, um, yeah, other things too. It's like uh, things are crooked. But here I am with a good awareness and medical proof of my two biggest medical adversaries. They were uncovered. And it feels good to know that my life is not just being a punching bag of demons and waiting on angels to fight the demons on my behalf and trying to do all these, I don't know, things, these magical incantations that are supposed to stop it from happening or repenting all the time and begging God to forgive me of all these things, you know, the maps of the generational sins and all of that stuff. If you're in a church that believes in that, it's like you can never come to the end of all the stuff you have to repent for. And even if you're fine, it's your your generational line. Um, it was exhausting and it never helped. I kept getting worse from both conditions. As every year went on, I was worse no matter how many of those magical things I did. So evangelicals, you weren't doing that on purpose. You didn't know the real reason, but still, you made it harder. And now, because of doctors who finally, (laughs) finally figured out what was really going on, I can have a better life. And so I'm grateful for that. And it's yet another silver lining of COVID that they figured out that I have dysautonomia. So evangelicals, I hope that you get more comfortable with chronic illness, and I hope you get more comfortable not only with people going to doctors and believing doctors, but also with the tension, the hard balance that it it requires to have a, a chronic illness, the balance of appreciating the days when your health is better 
and enduring without beating yourself up and repenting and going through magical incantations on the days when your health is worse. Just being able to ride it out, the highs and lows, and to know that God is there just as much on the lows as he is with the highs, and that you don't need the angel Michael to come and battle out the demons that are in you on the bad days. You don't need to call on all the different names of God. Oh my goodness, people would say things like, are you praying to Jehovah Rapha or are you just saying God? (laughs) It's like, I don't know, it's so much work to go through chronic illness in that framework. It's easier now in this place, you know, if I have to have chronic illnesses, it's easier at least to just have them, to just be a human being whose body is broken in certain ways. It's easier to be a human being who needs, I don't know, compression around my abdomen and salt pills and things like that to be able to function a little bit more normally or a lot more normally on some days. But to know that on the bad days, it's not a spiritual, um, it's not a, a spiritual component that anyone should point to. It's just my body. It's my body that I feel like the church people hated and berated and condemned and criticized and pushed and pulled around spiritually and literally for so many years. And now I can just have my body broken as it is. And I can say, I'm grateful for the things I can do. I'm grateful for the days when I can get around and I'll get through the days like two days ago when I end up in the emergency room fainting and with bad heart pain and other things because that's how my body is. I can't change that and nobody has a cure for dysautonomia, but I can listen to podcasts and watch TV while I'm in the ER (laughs) and that's about all I can ask for at this point, but Even though it's hard, it's bearable. In the big picture, it's bearable. So evangelicals, I hope that you get more comfortable with chronic illness. For the sake of other people that right now are going through all the hoops, all the incantations, all of the demon hunts, all of the generational line, (laughs) prayers of reconciliation and prayers of repentance, thinking that that'll cure their chronic illness. I don't know, maybe for some of them it is curing them. But for me and a lot of others that I know personally, it's just a waste of energy when you're already dealing with chronic illness. So I'll sign off with that. 